Welcome to Taste the Truth Tuesdays, where we have bite-sized conversations on faith, fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'll be leveraging over two decades as a personal trainer, nutritionist, and mindset coach, and together, through the lens of faith, we will discover truthful tidbits for the health-conscious Christian. Hey, hey, happy Taste of Truth Tuesday. Today, I'm going to share my testimony about how I left the new age, a little about postmodernism, objective truth, and the importance of apologetics. To help tell the story, I've brought on my husband. Hey, thanks for having me, love. I'm Patrick, and I've been a believer since 2008, and my sanctification has been a rocky road. I'm so excited to be here to help facilitate this conversation. You know, Megan's coming to Christ was a pivotal moment in my life our marriage, and my walk with Christ. So let's get started. To understand your salvation story, I think we need to set the stage. So could you tell us a little bit about your childhood? What was that like? You know, I remember having an emptiness in my heart, even in my early years. I wasn't raised in the church. I know a part of that was because my parents were impacted by bad theology, taught under false teachings of a guy named Hal Lindsey, who was a writer and television host. I'll share more about this at the end. When I was a teenager, I went through a devastating crisis and began attending Young Life Group. Unfortunately, I never once heard or perhaps grasped the gospel message, and I lost interest. At the same time, my attention was captured by the hippie jam band culture. And as I grew into my 20s, I got into the New Age and New Thought movements. Wow, that's so sad to hear that you were open to going to church but weren't taught the true gospel message in scripture. Can you tell us what what is the new age and new thought? It is both a spiritual system of thought and practice that is composed of beliefs, values, and traditions from various schools of thought and religions throughout the world. Its goal is to bring divine enlightenment or to elevate consciousness to a higher vibration using the knowledge of self combined with occult practices to bring about a level of self-divinity. So were you like joining a religion when you started doing this New Age stuff? No, at the time I was actually like repulsed at that idea. New Age movement is not seen as a religion, but a new way to think and understand reality. It felt like a much better solution than the hollow church experience I'd had as a teenager. I saw myself more as a spiritual person. Wow, that's really interesting. It sounds like you didn't even feel like you were in a religion. So what does that look like then? Being spiritual to me meant looking inward, like towards solutions from the inside. Stuff like law of attraction, manifesting, psychics, mediums, angel cards, elements of Buddhism, astral production, creepy stuff like period, blood moon rituals. The New Age is based on— Whoa, 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 whoa. Hard stop. I think we all want to hear a little bit more about— these blood moon rituals? Well, we would gather at a particular time in the moon cycle, set intentions, and say prayers using angel tarot cards. We would use menstruation blood to paint with and to pour into the soil with. Since blood creates life, we believed we were using the power of the planets and our conscious will to create the life we wanted. Dang, that sounds like the exact opposite of being a Christian. Yeah, seriously. 
The New Age is based on a philosophy that affirms the inner self is ultimately God, and it revolves around the concepts of ancient wisdom, rites, and rituals. Since the movement itself has a loose, generally agreed-upon set of beliefs, there's no official standard or set of core doctrines. You can just cherry-pick the elements you like. Therefore, trying to define New Age practices is like trying to pin down a cloud, and no objective or absolute truth can exist. Well, we do know that there's truth in the importance of blood, but I don't think you could go from blood moon rituals to the blood of Christ overnight. So what changed your mind about the New Age stuff? I like to say I found Jesus at the bottom of a rabbit hole. In the fall of 2020, getting sick with the vid and having long haulers really wrecked me. I had distorted smell and taste, insomnia, and mood swings. I was desperate for healing but I was still repulsed by anything Christianity. I thought there was always another treatment, therapist, sound healing, or book that contained knowledge that would lead to my own healing and salvation. Those were definitely some hard times for all of us. For real. Fast forward to summer 2022, I'd been diving down lots of rabbit holes, and I was learning how modern New Age movement arose by borrowing from and adapting ancient Gnosticism, Western occultism, and Luciferian philosophy. Wait a second. Lucifer, are you saying that the New Age is actually based on biblical narratives? Well, yes and no. It turns the narrative upside down, that's for sure. Helena Blavatsky co-founded the Theosophical Society to promote her esoteric religion that revolved around the concept of ancient wisdom. She's also known as the mother of the New Age movement. Some of Blavatsky's quotes are quite concerning. She says, Satan, the enemy of God, is in reality the highest divine spirit. Lucifer is divine and terrestrial light. The Holy Ghost and Satan are one at the same time. Another huge influence was Alice Bailey, who was considered the prophetess of the New Age, having coined the term and much of the modern movement itself. What I find interesting is there are many parallels between the writings of Blavatsky, Theosophy, and Alice Bailey. For instance, one principle of Theosophy is the law of attraction, which is also discussed in the writings of Alice Bailey, including a whole chapter in one of her books. Recently, The Da Vinci Code and the 2006 film The Secret brought back ancient beliefs and practices into pop culture. It's so interesting how all these false teachings are connected. So if Satan is the highest divine spirit, where does that leave God? They believe the God of the Bible is an evil demiurge who accidentally created the earth and matter, and that matter is a dark prison in which human souls are held captive. Lucifer was sent to free mankind from God's prison by encouraging Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of knowledge and unlock the path to salvation, which comes from inner knowledge or gnosis. Oh my goodness. So it sounds to me like they think this demiurge is God the Father, but where does Jesus, the Son, fit into this? Well, that's a great question, babe. New angels will acknowledge Jesus, but only as one of the ascended masters who is a great guru and teacher. This is also known as Christ consciousness, which claims a belief in Jesus Christ, but it actually promotes faith in one's own ability to make oneself pleasing to God through attitude changes 
and mystical experiences. The Center for Christ Consciousness website defines this as the highest state of intellectual development and emotional maturity. They go on to claim that Jesus achieved this higher state of being in his human life and was given this term Christ before his name as the recognition of his achievement of this spiritual status. This path is open to anyone, regardless of their religious tradition, if and when he or she is open to becoming a living vessel of love and truth on the planet and actively strives to attain it. Okay, so their version of Jesus was a great teacher who achieved a higher consciousness, and this path he took is theoretically open to everybody, simply by being love and light. Yeah, serious deception, huh? And recently, Deepak Chopra has popularized this Christianized version of New Age pseudo-spirituality. The shift from truth to error can be subtle. And because we live in a postmodern society that has been submersed in a philosophy that affirms there's no objective or absolute truth, especially in the matters of religion and spirituality, it's even more difficult to decipher. When confronted with the truth claim regarding the reality of God, postmodernism's viewpoint is exemplified in the statement. That may be true for you, but not for me. And while such a response may be completely appropriate when discussing favorite foods like your ice cream flavor, such a mindset is very dangerous when it's applied to reality because it confuses matters of opinion with matters of truth. The dangers of postmodernism can be viewed as a downward spiral that begins with the rejection of absolute truth, which then leads to a loss of distinction in matters of religion and faith and culminates in a philosophy of religious pluralism that says no faith or religion is objectively true and therefore no one can claim his or her religion is true and another is false. We must recognize that every belief cannot be equally valid. If two beliefs directly contradict each other, both of them cannot be true, no matter how tolerant we wish to become. In logic, this is referred to as the law of non-contradiction. This means it is false to say that every religion is true or that every religion leads to God. When people make such claims, they're showing that they have not taken the time to study the world's religions because a brief reading of a few religious texts will quickly reveal contradictions on the most fundamental levels. Yeah, I mean, a foundational principle of philosophy is being able to discern between truth and error. That's like the foundation of it all. Or as Thomas Aquinas observed, it is the task of the philosopher to make distinctions. These days, it seems like everybody has their own truth, though. I'm glad that you're seeking the real truth. So, when did you meet Jesus of the Bible? So, earlier, I mentioned summer of 2022. That's when I heard someone's testimony about leaving the New Age and a cult. She shared how the New Age movement owes its origins to teachers who hold Satan and a higher regard than Jesus. Something really hit me. I realized evil was real, Satan was real, spiritual warfare was real, and therefore, Jesus was real. I began to see that all of the evil in the world began to make more sense within the biblical narrative. And after that, I began investigating the credibility and the reliability of the Bible and the historical evidence of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What I found was truly overwhelming, humbling even. How had I not looked at this before, realizing without God, there would be no objective basis for morality, no life, and no reason to live it. My previous beliefs provided no basis for morality, no hope, and no meaning for life. Yet all these things do exist, and so does God. I learned that it is sin that separates us from God, and it is the delusion of sin that makes us think that we are our own gods or somehow can become our own gods through rites and rituals. 
But the reality is that the only person that can bridge the gap between God and man is Jesus Christ, the blameless Son of God who died on the cross, who rose on the third day, beating death, the devil, and sin to inaugurate a new covenant so that sins could be forgiven and sinners could be born again. John 3, 5. Amen. That's the Jesus I know. And I love watching him work in your life. Thank you, babe. Declaring Jesus as Lord, repenting of my sin, taking ownership of where I was in life, beginning to learn how to forgive others, and walking the path of sanctification, which usually looks like two steps forward, one step back, has been humbling and encouraging. With his strength and clarity, through the Holy Spirit, I was able to see through deception. That's solid. What advice would you have for anyone else out there that has questions about Christianity? There is a wealth of data out there confirming the value of biblical Christianity. The work of Hugh Ross, who's an astrophysicist, his testimony on how he came to faith through the study of physics and that the Bible is more reliable than the second law of thermodynamics is pretty powerful. He shares how scientific discoveries have revealed the complexity and improbability of numerous essential features on Earth, making it optimal for human existence. These features were fine-tuned to precise measurements to enable life on Earth. The most reasonable explanation for that evidence is that there is a creator. His books, Improbable Planet, The Creator in the Cosmos, Why the Universe is the Way it Is, and Weathering Climate Change are a great place to start for you science nerds. If you like true crime, Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace could be a good book to look into. Josh McDowell's books like Evidence That Demands a Verdict, More Than a Carpenter, are also fantastic resources. Like many other Christians before me, the work of apologetics was crucial in answering my tough questions about Christianity. Yeah, I get that completely. When I first became a Christian, of course, I understood the core message of the gospel. I knew going to church was important. Reading scripture and praying was something we were supposed to do regularly. But no one ever told me there's an abundance of scientific evidence for the truths of the Bible. And I have to say, reading through these resources alongside you has really allowed me to lay a indestructible foundation in my faith. Amen, Patrick. I'm so grateful to God we get to grow together in our walk with Christ. As we've learned today, New Age is blatantly anti-Christian philosophy. I want to read a quote from Roger E. Olson in the book, The Story of Christian Theology, my favorite new book. With modern pluralism and tolerance of dissenting views, as well as separation of church and state, Gnosticism has once again reared its ugly head to challenge the apostolic gospel of salvation. A large part of my ministry is examining how these philosophies have infiltrated the church. A new trend we are seeing is the willingness to adopt New Age concepts and teachings out of the desire to recover whatever element of truth may be deeply hidden within them. Some seem convicted there's hidden truths within these that belong to God and that Christians can redeem them. I'll be interviewing my friend Beck Berry, who works in exposing New Age lies in pregnancy, birth, and beyond, unraveling new thought deceit, once a midwife, now a biblical birth educator, and we will be talking more about this. So be sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss it. It is important to learn how to recognize the four common threads of New Age doctrines. One, the promise of a coming New Age for mankind. Two, ascension to godhood. Three, unity of all faiths and systems. Four, self-glorification. It teaches to focus on oneself instead of on the one true God the first lie ever told to mankind. We are flawed, fallen beings in desperate need of radical redemption that is Savior-centered, not self-centered. Our power is limited. 
but God's power is not. Being made in God's image, we do have the capacity for creativity and greatness, but we are also in dire circumstances that only Christ can save us from. We must remember, Scripture is sufficient to save and to sanctify us. Nothing else can do so because God has given nothing else the power or wisdom to save us. In the book, The Second Coming of the New Age, Stephen Bancars and Josh Peck put it this way, The New Age and Christianity do not mix. We do not have a moral obligation from God to incorporate Eastern philosophy into the church or blend occult thought with orthodox thought. If something does not line up with the word of God, we should leave it outside the church, not Christianize it to become more inclusive or seeker-friendly to those with a different spiritual orientation. Earlier, I mentioned my parents being harmed fallen away from the church because of false teachings. Hal Lindsey wrote a series of apocalyptic books, beginning with the late great planet Earth in 1970, asserting that the apocalypse or end time, including the rapture, was imminent because he believed the current events were fulfilling Bible prophecy. In a later book titled The 1980s, Countdown to Armageddon. Lindsay said it was possible that the Battle of Armageddon could occur in the not-too-distant future, stating the decade of the 1980s could very well be the last decade of history as we know it. Well, I'm not sure what all was written in Hal Lindsay's books, or if what my dad believed was just from Lindsay's influence. But when my mom was pregnant with me in the mid-80s, she was told that if I wasn't born before Jesus returned, I would go to hell. I'm sure you can imagine how that affected my mother, her faith in the church, and most importantly, God. Then, Hal Lindsey updated his false prophecy and said Armageddon would happen in 1988, when my mom was pregnant again with my younger sister. I don't know why my parents didn't make the connection that Lindsey was a false prophet. Let's look at a few examples where scripture speaks to this. Deuteronomy 18.22 states, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And in Jeremiah 23, 16, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Jeremiah 14, 14 says, And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and deceit of their own minds. And Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 15 and 16, he states, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? And later we read in Matthew 24, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they were oblivious until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. 
because you do not know the day on which your Lord will come. But understand this, if the homeowner had known in which watch of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at any hour you do not expect. In Matthew 25, he teaches in the parable of the ten virgins, where he states, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Not only how Lindsay is a false prophet, but also he directly contradicted the words of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Situations like what happened to my parents is why I am so passionate about true biblical theology and encouraging biblical literacy. Theology matters. The belief we hold about God matter because bad theology hurts people. And it's not just the tier one elements of the theology triage, but all the beliefs we hold and teach to others. Considering eschatology is a third order issue, which are doctrines that Christians may disagree on and remain in close fellowship, even within local congregations, which of course I agree with to some extent. Yet we must clarify and have nuanced discussions within all levels of doctrines and not rely strictly on man-made boxes or point system buckets. Like the Bereans, it's important that we examine the doctrine and practices of each teacher in the light of scripture. Most false teachings have some biblical truths embedded in them and use scriptures to support their teachings so it can be tricky. And while we need to be diligent to expose any error being taught within the church, we also need to remain faithfully in prayer for those who are in teaching authority. Paul urges the Ephesians and all Christians by extension to live a life worthy of the calling you have received in Ephesians 4.1. He describes this life as one in which we are humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, and making efforts towards unity. Paul reminds his readers that we all serve the same Lord and are part of the same body of Christ. Yet, later he states that we may be built up and reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature in Christ. Having reached maturity, we will not be spiritual infants easily deceived and tossed to and fro by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, Ephesians 4.14. Rather than be spiritually immature and easily deceived, we are to speak the truth to one another with love so that we can all grow in maturity. We are to train one another in truth, the foundational gospel truths, truths about who God is and what he's called us to do, and the hard truths of correction. Yet, our motivations must be in love, not self-righteousness or pride. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots by the river and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. As Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture is a fundamental tenet of the Christian faith, and unfortunately, it's under attack today from within the church as much as the world. Extra-biblical relevations, mysticism, and some forms of psychological counseling all declare that the Bible and its precepts are not adequate for the Christian life. But Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 10, 27. Let us close in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessed gift of technology so it allowed for me to connect with listeners and share my testimony. I pray that this glorifies you and helps be the gardener in others' lives for the Holy Spirit to work and bring truth so that others may find and know and trust in the peace that surpasses all understanding through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. May the peace and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Have a great week.